The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning. One of the things I really appreciate about our tradition of meditation practice, of Buddhist practice, is that there are some instructional teachings that are like pointers, you know, that if, you know, our our lineage here is uh, considered to be in the Theravada Buddhist tradition, and it it goes back to um, what sometimes we call early Buddhism, um, looking at the the teachings, the suttas, which seem to be um, as close as we can get to what uh, the historical Buddha uh, taught and how how the Buddha taught, and it, which is not to say it's it's better than other. Buddhist traditions or more authentic or anything like that because I think every school of Buddhism has its own wonderful flavor. Um, But in the early Buddhist tradition, there's a kind of um, clarity and um, I don't know what the word is, maybe cartography of the mind or, you know, these kind of maps and or architecture and the Buddha kind of pointing out, this is how it works. And if you understand this, um, it will help you. It will help to free free you uh, from unnecessary suffering. Um, and so I wanted to talk about what, what I feel has been a very valuable pointer for me coming out of this tradition. Um, Last week, we discussed this idea of uh, radical simplicity and bare awareness, this idea of um, what is it to stay at the level of experience where we're not reacting so much, you know, so it's like just listening, just feeling, just seeing, Um, and the Buddha teaching that... um, when we're able to do this, um, there's no there's no separate self being created, and this is the end of suffering. Um, and so last week we talked about that simplicity of awareness and how challenging it can be, and how um, with the intention to be simple, we can notice the way the mind jumps in and wants to create uh, certainty and stability and wants to project itself into the future, into the past and all of these uh, so-called self-centered dreams of the hindrances. Um, One of the, so if we think about that as non-reactivity, the question can arise, what is it that we react to? What is it that we're kind of 
like a ping-pong ball against. And from the early Buddhist teachings, the suggestion is that what we react to on a very primary, uh, maybe we can say primal level, is what's called the feeling tone of experience, the, which, which simply means the, pleasant, the, the, the aspect of experience that is pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant or unpleasant. And um, while this, you kind of, I think it's very easy to gloss over this pointer or this teaching. But I know for myself, before I heard this, I don't think I ever particularly noticed or put any value into really attending to whether something is pleasant or unpleasant. You know, certainly um, we know that uh, we want what's pleasant. We don't want what's unpleasant. But it wouldn't have occurred to me so much that there is a value in particularly noticing whether something is pleasant or unpleasant or neither. Um, And the idea from these early Buddhist teachings is that the feeling tone of experience, the pleasant or unpleasant, is the doorway um, through which we, uh, it's like the portal or the doorway to grasping and to clinging. Um, And and this is something that, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't state this as a gospel, but more as something, as an invitation to explore. Um, when, when I've noticed that there is a lot of desire and a lot of grasping onto something and wanting it, is it possible to trace that back to a pleasant feeling? And if I notice that there's, I really don't like something, I'm really caught in the, gr- the grips of aversion, you know, just to check it out, is it possible to follow it back to some feeling that it, in the moment is unpleasant. So that's the suggestion that of our, of our complicated, um, amazing uh, minds, that it, that it actually comes back to something that's so elemental and it's so simple, but it's often so overlooked in our experience, the pleasant and the unpleasant nature of experience. Um, later today, I'm going to go donate blood, you know, and when I think about that, I kind of get a, you know, a nice, warm, pleasant feeling, you know, it's like, oh, you know, nice thing to do is go give blood and, you know, a little pat on the back for myself, you know, a little generosity. But then I remember, <laughs> it kind of hurts. <laughs> and it's, it's not just like, If you go to get labs drawn, I think they use a pretty small needle. But when you give blood, they're kind of draining a lot of blood, right? So they want it to go fast. So I, I don't want to discourage anyone from giving blood. <laughs> but I do think they, they use a slightly bigger needle. And I know. How does it feel? Pleasant or unpleasant to think about it? 
And then remembering, it's like I can remember the needle going in and, f- and feeling this like, that's a kind of big needle, you know, and this kind of unpleasantness. Um, just that memory of it, I can take myself into this place where I notice the unpleasantness. And so I was sitting and meditating and just kind of these thoughts were coming in. And it was like, okay, going to donate blood. And, you know, kind of that thought had a, had a pleasant feeling. And I thought, well, wait a second. It's probably going to hurt a little bit. And there was this unpleasant feeling. You know? And then I thought, well, you know, it's just unpleasant for like a moment, you know. And then it kind of go, goes away. And then I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, and remembering the impermanence of that unpleasantness. That kind of, you know, something in the system could relax a little bit. And then what I noticed was a thought came in to the mind. If I, maybe I should go have a really good meal before I donate blood. And that will really kind of fortify me. Pleasant feeling. (laughs) Imagining what I'm going to eat imagining how good that will feel. There was a pleasant feeling coming from that. Um, So just, you know, it's possible to watch the mind. And one of the, um, so the the first idea about this is to begin to attend to pleasant and unpleasant sensations. And when we do, what we might notice is that um, a lot of our life sometimes is unconsciously oriented around these sensations. How, how, when I first started doing this practice, it was very interesting to notice how much of um, how much time, how much energy. Uh, can go into chasing after pleasant sensation, pleasant feeling, and trying to get away from unpleasant feeling. And, you know, just to notice. Um, And is there some assumption operating that happiness, my happiness, depends on maximizing the number of moments that are pleasant, that have a pleasant feeling, and minimizing the number of moments that are unpleasant. You know, is that an assumption um, that I operate under? And I think the idea in terms of practice is that um, it's not so much about our happiness, our freedom, our well-being. It's not so much about um, maximizing the number of moments and the number of t- uh, feelings that are, that are pleasant versus unpleasant, but it's really more about the relationship. How do I relate to these? Um, And um, because the pleasant and the unpleasant does not reside in the sensation itself. It resides, it's said to reside in us, in our experience of it. Um, I think we we can understand this when we think about uh, it's, 
to think of a good example of, you know, something like the sound of the bell. If, if I'm really in a meditation that feels long and boring and mind is agitated and irritated and when the sound of the bell rings, like, ah, great. <laughs> the most pleasant <laughs> sound in, in the universe, right? Um, but that very same sound, if, for example, I'm settling into a wonderful meditation and I know that after that meditation I have to go, I don't know, whatever. You know, we're going to scrub the bathrooms now. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe that sound wouldn't be experienced as so pleasant. Um, so pleasant and unpleasant depend on us. I know for myself when, when the mind is contracted and kind of small and, and, and tight, um, it's much easier for something that might have been experienced as, as neutral to, st- to be unpleasant. You know, there are different things that impinge on the mind that give it this, uh, that are experienced as unpleasant. Um, when there's a lot of spaciousness, a lot of ease, then um, what might have been unpleasant starts to be experienced as more neutral. Um, so, so this idea of attending to the feeling tone is, um, you know, so for, for the classical teachings, it's considered that the feeling tone is the link between the basic, um, level of contact, the basic level of our experience and grasping. When something is pleasant, uh, it goes from pleasant to I like it, to I want it, to I have to have it. You know, when something is unpleasant, it can go from it's unpleasant, I don't like it, I don't want it, you know, I've got to get away from it. And so from the point of view of freedom, of awakening, of freeing ourselves um, from the suffering that comes from grasping, which is like the basic, you know, heart of this practice, um, the, it's said that the weakest link in this chain, the place where it's most easy to free myself, is at this level of feelings, is at this level of the pleasant and the unpleasant nature of feeling. If I can notice something is pleasant, you know, and stay with it and appreciate it at that level of pleasant feeling um, with awareness then it, and, and without attachment, it means that I'm less likely to go down this, you know, quicksand or this, I don't know what, black hole of clinging. If I can notice something at the level of unpleasant um, and hang out there, it's, um, I'm much less likely to go into some whole story and all, you know. Um, So that's the basic idea behind pleasant and unpleasant. 
And um, as we meditate, one of the things we start to notice is um, that we are asked in meditation to hang out with unpleasant feelings much more so than we would do, in, I think, in our ordinary life. I think usually one teacher called it this very humbling um, realization that we're kind of just like pigeons, <laughs> you know, chasing a little bit of little something, you know, a little bit of little bit of pleasant feeling, a little bit of getting away from a little bit of unpleasant. So, and I think in our ordinary life, it's so habitual and it's so instinctive to just when something is unpleasant, we immediately. Uh, turn away from it or we you know, work to replace it with a feeling that's pleasant with a thought that's pleasant but in meditation the request is to to sit still to sit upright and to hang out with whatever arises and for sure unpleasant feelings will arise and the idea is that there is a lot of learning that um, is possible, a lot of wisdom that's possible by learning to um, coexist with patience, with understanding, with, with feelings that are unpleasant. Um, rather than immediately trying to um, get away from them or uh, replace them with something that's pleasant. Even very experienced meditators who can get very concentrated. It's very interesting to see that is there a way that the pleasant feelings of this concentration practice are somehow serving to um, help me escape from uh, something that's unpleasant. And it's just something to notice. So, um, but if we can hang out with and, and, and learn to be with what's unpleasant in our experience, one of the things we notice is that unpleasant experiences change and they end. And unpleasant experiences end and become neutral and they become pleasant. And then something that's pleasant, we can be with that for a little while. And then that will end. And then that will change. And then that might become unpleasant or neutral. And when we start to be able to stay with a feeling as it arises, as it persists, and as it ends, this can bring a tremendous amount of insight. Because it's, first of all, it's revealing the impermanent nature of these feelings. They come and go. You know, they're like bubbles. They're, um, and once we really see how impermanent they are, how much they change, how insubstantial these feelings are, um, their grip on us begins to loosen. We start to be less hypnotized, less enthralled, less enchanted. It's like, does it make sense to devote all this time and energy chasing what's pleasant 
if I really know that this, that that pleasant feeling is not lasting, is not dependable, is going to quickly change into something that's, that's different, that's unpleasant, or that's neutral. And so we can kind of shift our perspective to stay, to, to attend to our experience on the level of these feelings and to watch how they change. You know, it can bring a tremendous amount of freedom because it's like, well, the, the, the momentary pleas- pleasure I get from that may not be worth, you know, building my life around. You know, it's like, um, and in the, same, in the same way, you know, it's like, it would be a real shame if nobody ever donated blood or nobody ever went for a blood test or something because they were trying to avoid that momentary, fleeting, unpleasant feeling. Um, you know, yeah, it's unpleasant, but so what? It's just, it's there, it's gone. And if we have that kind of spaciousness, even though we, we can say, okay, I don't like it, um, but that's okay. It gives us so much freedom to be able to do things that may not always be pleasant, but may have some bigger purpose or higher purpose. And I think we do this all the time. You know, we know that um, something might not be so pleasant or so enjoyable, but there's, there's a bigger, larger value or larger purpose to it. Um, so, um, and then in our, in our everyday life, just to notice, you know, like what is my relationship to the pleasant and to the unpleasant? Um, what are the assumptions I have around um, how life is supposed to be? Or um, I, I think sometimes we, in the, in, the, in the Buddhist tradition, sometimes we talk about personality types, you know, and there's the desire type, and then the aversion type, and the delusion type. And so the desire type, greed type, is maybe, um, and it, you know, I, I certainly recognize all three of these in myself, so it's not like uh, some very specific uh, exclusive thing. But if, if we're a greed type, we're oriented towards pleasure, oriented towards maximizing um, those uh, pleasant feeling tones. And it's very interesting to just, to, just to, to, to tune in to the relationship with that. And if, if we can trace it back to... Um, this sort of simplicity of being with pleasant and unpleasant. In the same way, if we're an aversive type, if we're always sort of seeing what's wrong, um, begin to notice, how does unpleasant operate? What is my relationship with unpleasant? Um, delusion, delusion, Delusion type is said to be the 
one of the most challenging to work with because um, delusion is said to come from the neutral feeling tone, neither pleasant or unpleasant. Often we don't even notice what's neutral. We're so tuned in to what's pleasant, what's unpleasant. Um, But it's very valuable to begin to attend to neutral experience because often this is where we, especially in meditation, this is where the mind wanders, right? This is where it's, it's kind of like these empty spaces or these blank spaces that we don't notice. Nothing's really happening. So I'm gonna, the mind is going to jump in and create an experience that's pleasant or unpleasant. Um, you know, so, so the Buddha taught these four foundations of mindfulness, um, which is kind of the basis for our meditation instructions. The first being mindfulness of the body. And then the third is mindfulness of the mind. And in between these two is mindfulness of what is called Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So it's like it's right there between the physical sensations. It's the bridge between the physical sensations and then the mind, you know, our, our reactivity. Um, and... Um, so just this kind of, it's just this pointer, you know, not that we, not to, um, it's, I certainly don't, it's not the, the primary way I meditate or practice, but just to, just to have that pointer of, um, if I can tune in to the, the pleasant or the unpleasant in in experience, that's going to let me know how I'm likely to react. And if I'm caught in a difficult situation, um, sometimes it's very freeing to be able to to, um, trace it back. It's like, wait a second, this all started, or the, 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 the foundation to this is some unpleasant feeling some feeling of not, you know, whatever, being ignored, being disrespected. Um, And uh, maybe there's a way that this person communicated with me that touched into some conditioning I have, some wounding that I have. Whatever the story is around it, it felt, it hurt, it felt unpleasant. You know, and when I can attend to to that, it's like, oh, ouch. Then I'm much more able to take care of myself in that moment, and then be able to come from a place that's not just this primal reactivity. You hurt me, and I'm going to either hurt you or <laughs> back, <laughs> or I'm going to. Um, speak out of that wounded place, that younger place. And I've got to fight back and protect myself and tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. And But if I'm able to say, ooh, ouch, that hurt, take care of myself, and then tease apart 
what is it in this communication? So there's a, it's being experienced by me as painful. But apart from that, what's, what's going on here? Oh, this person is sharing their experience. Okay, this person is sharing what hurt them. Oh, okay, this person has some ideas that may be, may be good ideas. And I'm able to sort of see and respond um, on a different level. And when I can respond to that person on a different level, not on the, just the primal level of pain, then my response is much more likely to be um, helpful and a good response and in some way break that cycle. You know, so it's like if someone gives you some feedback and says, when you do, th- I really don't like it when you do this and it causes all these problems and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you can hear that and on one level, it's painful, could be painful. Criticism is often painful. But if I'm only on the level of how painful that is, how unpleasant that is to me, I'm likely to miss the content. I'm likely to miss what's, what's good, what's valuable there. But if I can notice, notice what's painful, take care of that, feel that, bring awareness to that, and then come back and be able to listen, and be able to, to really um, attend to the ideas that are being expressed. I'm, I know for myself, I'm much more likely to be able to respond. And, oh, that's a really, thank you. Thank you. That's a great, those are, that's a great reminder. Those are great ideas. And uh, let's talk about how we can do that or something. You know, it's like a whole different level. And then sometimes the person who's sharing that can relax. <sighs> okay, you know, wow, this person could really hear me. And maybe um, you know, when a person is speaking, I know for myself, if I'm speaking out of my pain, then I'm, it's often, more often than not, it can hurt other people. And if I'm used to hurting other people, I'm kind of braced for the response. And if someone comes back and says, "Hey, Great, so open and so you know comes back and says, "Let's talk about it." Or great idea. Then something, something in me can soften, you know. So when we can break the cycle of reactivity, um, it's freeing not only for us but it's such a gift for others, you know. And so the the the, the small pointer, the key idea here is breaking the cycle of reactivity at the level of pain, painful, pleasant, painful, or neutral. Um, and it's the place where we react. It's, and that's the idea anyway. So to check it out in your own ex- experience. Um, how do I relate to pleasant and painful? Um, and uh, the more the more we're aware of this aspect of experience, the easier it is not to react, not to not to fall in 
to this cycle, as the Buddha talked about, this cycle of becoming, this cycle of grasping. Um, so I'm curious, how, what do you, what do you think of this? It's, um, yeah, yeah. Just wait for, get the, yeah, get the mic. I really like everything that you were saying. It's very insightful. Through your whole talk, I um, well, lately what I've been doing is exploring this like sense of I, this feeling of me, me, me. Um, <clears throat> and when I have thoughts, you know, of that bring up these feelings of neutral, negative, positive, that's going to feel good. Um, you know. Those feelings that come up in thoughts, those thoughts are always connected to the I. Like, there's always an I in those thoughts. Like, that's what I'm learning, you know what I mean? So it seems like when you just said this cycle, that that seems to perpetuate it. Isn't it the sense of me that's the wind in the sail that's perpetuating it? Like, that's the feeling that I get. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I can, I just don't know how to like let go of that. Like, how to rid myself of that part? Like, you know, like that will if that will break the cycle for me. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just always. It, there's always me. Like everywhere I go, like so many thoughts. When I, I've really been watching my thoughts daily. You know, like so many thoughts that I have have the me and so many of the feelings in the thoughts that arise from those feelings. Yes. The feelings are now. Yeah. But they're derived from this sense of like me in the future, me in the past. Like, and I I don't know, maybe you could comment on that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. It's It's a great observation and just to um the more sen- I think the more sensitive we become through this practice, the more we notice how um, thoughts and feelings are uh, both fueled by a sense of, of I, the sense of self, and also create that sense of self. You know, when thoughts are very... You know, one of the great questions in practice is, who are you when there are no thoughts to tell you who you are? You know, so thoughts... Because I've felt that. I have yeah. different yeah. periods where I feel that I just, just drops right out. Yeah. And it's just... Like, whatever. It's just presence, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just... It's very pleasant. Huh? But it's very pleasant. It's pleasant. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. It is. It's. It's. It's almost like blissful. Pleasant. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but the eye. Oh, <laughs> the eye is like there. It sucks. So the. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea for this is that the eye is not. Um, the I, that, that sense of I is, is a doing. 
you know? And so it's something that um, when we relax the doing, that sense of I starts to relax. And so the practice is to just notice the doing, notice the activity of the mind, notice the thinking. And when we can, when we can notice the pleasant and unpleasant, um, that tends to, um, you know, the, 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 the grasping and the wanting and the ideas around that are fueled by pleasant and unpleasant. So it's like going, it's just going back, tracing it back a little bit closer to the source. And so pleasant and unpleasant is just another tool. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great observation. I mean, it's said that even the Buddha, you know, completely enlightened being, experienced pleasant and unpleasant. So there's something in pleasant and unpleasant that can be experienced without creating a sense of self. But then it quickly goes into, I want it, I don't want it, and me, my preferences. And, yeah. Okay, is this on? In, the, in the, the, the now, the now, you know, like the present experience, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, it's there, you know, it just arises in my person, in my, in my mind. But that seems to be different from the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral that arises from thoughts that I have, you know. There's like two scenarios, you know. There's the, there's the feelings that I'm having in the present moment that aren't connected to thoughts because there's no I there, you know. It's just not there. But then the pleasant and unpleasant that comes, that arises now that are connected to thoughts, they seem that they're like two different yeah. scenarios almost. Yeah. Um, I understand what you're saying. And what I would su- suggest that you might explore with this is that um, they feel different because thoughts sort of have content to them and create their own world that we then enter into. Whereas like, you know, feeling of the breath or feeling of the weight of the body or a sound, you know, it's easier to stay on the bare level of experience. Whereas a thought, it it has content which we can enter into But if we can notice a thought as a thought and not enter into the content, it's possible to notice, I think, I mean, just explore. It's possible to notice the the feeling tone of the thought. Like I was saying, like, you know, needle giving blood that had a certain kind of feeling tone to it. And then this idea of like, oh, wait, but I'm going to have to treat myself to this great meal. There's a, me there's, there's a me, but there's also a pleasant and there's also a feeling tone. And when I notice the feeling tone, I'm shifting out of the me. You know, it's like 
I can shift out of the, oh God, it's going to hurt me, to like, ah, unpleasant, you know, and tune into that unpleasant. And the idea is that just in that unpleasant dimension of experience, there's a shift there, you know, out of self-referential being and into something that's a little more simple. That's the idea. And it's subtle. And I think we, we're, we're always going in and out. Um, you know, so, um, but, it, but, but it, for sure, it's, it's, a more, it's much more tricky to work with thoughts that have a lot of juice to them versus, you know, some neutral sound. Um, but we're never going to get rid of thoughts. They'll always be there. <laughs> there are time, there, there, are, there are periods where we can be free from thoughts, but we probably wouldn't want to be free from thoughts permanently. <laughs> what did you say? It's uh, it is right, right, and I think, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, but it but this is great to 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 look at. I mean, it said you know in the classical teachings, it said that only with the final level of enlightenment of awakening is all sense of me. You know, it's called conceit the sense of an eye per- completely uprooted. You know, so until then, there's going to be some, some sense of a self, but it's, how, how am I relating to it? You know? um, and anyway, I mean, I think it's a, great, it's a great thing to explore. But I think certainly there can be thinking that's, that we're not um, attached to and that we're not suffering from a self because of. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi. So I have two things related one is a share and one is a kind of a question. So in, I'm fairly new to the school of thought coming from a different background. Yeah, and I hear a lot of talk about getting rid of the I. Like I was just, yeah, and it seems to be just part of the Buddhist study. I could be wrong, of course. I don't know it yet fully. My experience is the harder I try, the more fortified it gets. Ah. So, in my personal experience, even in meditation and in life, if I'm paying attention, they sort of exist side by side. There is the me, and then there is this everything, and the me just kind of floats in it. Just this ocean of consciousness that's just so much more pleasant in a different kind of way to be in than being the crunchy eye and following sort of my bliss 
I don't feel particularly bad about following it because that just is a guiding post for me. It just feels so much more peaceful and spacious to be in that wider space than being in the, you know, the small contracted place. So I do follow kind of, I'm not sure it's the same thing that you were describing. It's not exactly aversion and attraction, but it's sort of this like turning towards because it's just so good on some fundamental level. And I'm curious if I heard you right or if it's a completely different thing. So I, just to make it clear on a more personal, concrete note, I'm in a place in my life where I can go 360. Nothing has grooves. So I have to make choices and find my way. So I use this almost like this gut feeling that is like, yes, or no, thank you. So it feels a little more dropped in than perhaps what you're describing. It's not that I need a particular thing. Is when I turn towards something, it's like a pool. Like it's going down the stream. And at other times it feels like struggle, work. And then I don't go there. But I'm not sure it's the same level of aversion that you're describing. So I'm not sure if I lost you here. No, I, well... Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got. For, yeah, um, thank you. You're beautiful. And um, one of the things that came to my mind is I can't. I, I don't know if I said this at the beginning of the talk or not, but there's this uh, line I heard recently. Um, uh, uh, this teaching, this line I heard recently, this teach, line of teaching that, that said that goes something like, um, "Tremendous effort is required." to understand the uselessness of effort. <laughs> you know, and it's not exactly what you're saying, but um, how I understand that is that, you know, mindfulness practice, awareness practice takes effort. In, you know, it takes effort to come back from the conditioning of our dreams, our thoughts, to be present, to be here, to be awake. Because, you know, we have these habits and, these, and, the, and the mind is, until it's really well trained, that's what the mind does, is, 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 is moves around. But It's that that effort is actually in the service, ultimately, of letting go. And of letting go into our experience, into who we are. And letting go um, feels wonderful. You know, letting go is pleasant, actually. But, you know, it's something to explore. But so what I hear you saying is that there... You know, when I, just to put in the language that, you know, we often use here, when I let go of my fixed ideas and my attachment to preferences and the small self and that kind of, and it feels just so good. And I just, 
you know, merge with everything and I'm open to things and it feels so true and there's a pleasantness of that and that sort of um, intuitively uh, feels like this is the way to go. And this is great, which is, which is exactly what we're doing, which is... Um, and then the only... Uh, I mean, one way I would bring it back to this this very elemental practice of a feeling tone and pleasant and unpleasant is is just to notice how do I relate to unpleasant sensation? You know, because unpleasant sensation will arise. It might be just a physical, simple thing. It might be some difficult emotion that arises. And, it, you know, just to, just to um, have the sense that unpleasant feeling, unpleasant sensation is something that's also very valuable to be with. And to notice, where do I go with it? Do I feel, wait a second, this is wrong, this is a mistake. I should always be, have this pleasant, expansive feeling. Or do I... Um, uh, you know, do I, do I distract myself? Do I say, oh, I've got to get more concentrated and get back into the bliss? And where's the bliss? And, you know, um, do I say, oh, this is something that's unpleasant. Can I, can I hang out here with it? Can I understand it? What is it like to um, breathe with it and be with it? What does it mean to be non-separate from this too, the pain of this too. You know, I sometimes I'll notice in my email inbox, it's like, I can just go down pleasant, 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 unpleasant. <laughs> and then what, often what I do is I ignore it. Or I'll, I'll star it. You know, if I use Gmail, you can star a message, like for later. I'll star it and then I'll swipe it away. <laughs> I'm going to do that later. <laughs> you know, just to notice what, you know, and, and um, so when, when we have access to a letting go that feels delicious and that feels um, expansive and beautiful, wonderful, um, and then when, when that's not there, um, what, what are, you know, how, how am I relating? You know, what, what, na- what now? Um, and that the idea is that to be able to practice, which just means to bring awareness to each moment, regardless of whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, that each moment has something valuable for us. Um, but yeah, when, when, when there's this expansiveness, beautiful. And, and just this idea about the self, um, it's not so much in practice, the, the, the practice is not to get rid of the self, or to get rid of the ego, but is to see that self maybe is just a perspective. You know, it's one perspective. So I can relate to experience in a way through the, through the filter, through the prism of the self. And sometimes that's very useful, you know. And 
But there's also possible to relate to experience, to relate to thoughts, to relate to these feelings, pleasant, painful feelings, in a way that's not referencing a self, you know? And to just, to notice the difference. So that's, you know. The golden nugget for myself I'm hearing here is when unpleasantness arises, to treat it from that place of non-separateness. Beautiful. Because yeah. then no momentum is created by hitting it hard and then ping-ponging somewhere and doing that swinging thing. Yeah. So that's what I'm taking from yeah. this. Thank Beautiful. You. Great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So the fourth is, um, you know, so these four foundations of mindfulness, there's body, which includes breathing, body sensations. There's Vedana, which is the feeling tone, the pleasant, painful, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then there's Chitta, which is mind or heart, includes the moods, mind states, emotions. And then the fourth is the Pali word is dhammas, dhamma, to be mindful of dhamma, which in the, t- in the sutta is, includes things like the four no- teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the seven factors of awakening. So it's sort of like mindfulness. One of the ways we sometimes translate it as, um, I, I think classically it's translated as um, mindfulness of mind, mindfulness of mind objects, which is very vague. But sometimes we translate it as mindfulness of truths. So it's like mindfulness of the teachings. But to, to look at our experience, I mean, what is it to look at our experience through the lens of the Four Noble Truths, for example, which just say, there's a truth of suffering, there's a truth of the cause of suffering through my self-clinging, and when I let go of that self-clinging, that suffering releases. And if I'm mindful of that, it means being mindful of where I cling and where I, what happens when I let go of that clinging. When I get, so kind of what we've been talking about. Um, so that's the fourth. But it's said to be like, it gets from easy to hard. <laughs> you know, easy to medium to difficult. And so we start with the body, we start with the breath, and then we start to notice pleasant and unpleasant, and start to notice the moods that that brings to the mind, and then start to notice how can I relate to these feelings in a way that either brings more suffering or that brings more ease, more peace, more freedom. So it's, there's a little bit of a progression. Um, and I think on Monday nights, Gil is going through this sutta, you know, and there's so many different pieces to it. I think, you know, there could be like, you know, 40 or 50 different talks on, you know, and this, so, um, yeah. So, okay, thank, you know, this topic can be a little bit dry and it's one of the, you know, it's one of the, 
challenges, I think, to offer it in a way that feels relevant and that feels pleasant. (laughs) So I just hope if it was very dry, you were just noting unpleasant, 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 unpleasant. (laughs) But just... uh, What did you say? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. At least there was some. You have an image now of. <laughs> but just as this, you know, it just as this doorway to experience. That's a pointer that I think we overlook. It's so easy to overlook. Just this very, very simple um, level of experience. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, sorry for all the blood. And, uh...